The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Oh, I wanted to be Debbie Harry. I bleached my hair and everything, you know. Well, rather, me, me friend Sandra did. <laughs> Went green. <laughs> Happy days, huh? <laughs> yep. There you go, two bottles of Carver. Back in the day, that would have been baby sham, but it's near enough, isn't it? There you go, love. <laughs> oh, and uh, thanks for the fondue tip. You're welcome. Have fun! <laughs> And welcome to episode 56 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that forgot to do an amusing and lengthy opening ramble this week. I'm Gavin. And I'm dirty. Ooh. Actually, I'm not. I finally took a shower after four days of camping. Yeah, you were. You were way up north. I was. Always way up north. In the not UP. Not to Alaska, though. Just to the UP. To the upper peninsula of Michigan. Yes. I think people are kind of familiar with the bit of Michigan that looks like the mitten. Yes, and then there's another hand kind of pointing the other way that Michigan earned in the Michigan-Ohio War. The Ohio had that? No, oh, nobody had it at the time, but there was this tiny strip of land at the bottom of Michigan slash Ohio that Michigan and Ohio were fighting over, and eventually it got so bad that the U.S. government, who's fault it was because of the way that they had incorrectly drawn the map said look michigan we'll let you into the nation because it was still a colony it was still a territory at the time we'll let you into the nation and you can have this wee bit up here at the tippity top if you'll let ohio have that teeny tiny strip and we're like all right so we went out oh yeah fun fact well, there's such a thing as the Michigan-Ohio War. No, I'm pretty sure I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I learned it at the Historical Museum when Stilly was there for a week, a couple of years ago. Huh. So how was your trip? It was nice. We went and we had uh, lunch at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island, which is a fantastic island that we have here in Michigan, where there are no cars. No cars are allowed. They have one motor vehicle on the island, or two. They have an ambulance, and they have a fire truck. And that's it. Mm. Everything else is either horse or a bicycle. No skateboards or rollerblades because those scare the horses. Oh, dear. And you don't want that. No. No. I, we, we learned that from Corey a couple of weeks ago. You don't mm. You don't want a, a startled horse. No. They tend to shit. Yeah. So the taxis, shit anyway, though, don't they? the taxis are horse-drawn. Everybody shits. I do believe there's a book out there called that. Actually, it's Everybody Poops. But Isn't that an R.E.M. song? Oh, <laughs> 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 how we laughed. Yes. And then we did so, that. So that was nice and rather 
and rather posh, but for the most part, we were sleeping in tents in St. Ignace, right on the shores of Lake Huron, and it got very rainy, so we weren't able to do much campfire cooking. The girls weren't able to make s'mores, and they were sorely disappointed, so we let them put the Hershey's chocolate in their pancakes instead. I'm trying to think it was raining down here. It was a little bit. Yeah, not nearly as much as it was up there. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't all that bad. There was one morning that was terrible. Was it Monday morning? Monday morning, yes. Monday morning was horrible. Yeah, it was horrible and rainy and the girls were like, oh, and I was like, oh, don't worry about it. It's not that bad up there. And at the time it wasn't. And then we got there and we brought the rain. <laughs> that's, it was. that's what pre-teenage girls will do. They bring the rain. Shall we preamble, my dear? Absolutely. Corey News. <gasps> Corey News. It's okay, I have a jingle. I know. And here it comes. <laughs> so this week's Corey News, I wasn't really paying all that much attention to it, which... Yeah. It's kind of my fault. I was going to pass this on to you to do. Right, and, and I would have, but I was kind of without Wi-Fi. Right. I, I watched all of Corey this week today. Yeah. So. Here's the one bit of Corey news I did get. Okay. The Manchester Evening News reported this week that Chris Quinton, who played Gail's husband, Brian, mm-hmm. and father to Nick and Sarah. Yes. Well, he's gone and got himself engaged to be married to Robin Delavar, a model and stripper who is 40 years his junior. Yikes. 21 to his 61. Yikes. Congratulations to the happy couple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all I've got. Hmm. I need to do more effort into this. Oh, like I said, I'll uh, I'll put some effort in. I was, I, you know, because I knew I wasn't going to be able to watch the show until today. I stayed off of Corey Twitter for... The majority of the week, I, I didn't even go onto the talk of the street Twitter feed because I I didn't want to have this week spoiled. Right, you hadn't tweet all that much this week, I don't think. Yeah, we That's did because you were sad and missing me. Obviously, we uh-huh. did get our two hundred followers though. Yes, we did. We we have more than two hundred now. It's Up like two hundred four. Yeah, now that uh, Blanche now follows us. Yes, from 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 beyond the grave, from heaven. <laughs> Or mail- it's just a strange kind of week because we only have the bare minimum in our mailbag this week. It was uh, John oh. G got in touch on Facebook to say, Nick is a slug. And that was it. And that was true. 203 followers. Oh, we've lost one? I guess so. And we have a hundred, and we're following 123. So one, two, three. That's neat and tidy, isn't it? Who did we lose? Let me check that out. Or maybe we were just both wrong that it was 204. Yeah, nobody's unfollowed recently. Two Sad, or three. Sadly, we're still at 184 for common language, so give that a follow, folks. <laughs> Hindsight Corner. So this Beth and Kirk wedding thing rumbles on for yet another week. <laughs> Canadian Helen got in touch this time with what I assume is a promotional still from the show which shows Beth and Kirk in their full wedding garb. Beth is indeed dressed like Madonna. Kirk, however, isn't dressed as Boy George. No. He's dressed as Anna Mant. 
from the Kings of the Wild Frontier era. Yeah. With a little white stripe over his nose. It's so an easy mistake to close. make. Yeah. yeah. Guy wearing makeup. Right. Yeah, but Adamant didn't have the dreads. No. Or that, you know, farmer hat. Was that a farmer hat? It's like it's like a Mennonite hat. Boy George did? Yeah, that, that black hat with the wide brim that goes all the way around. Well, well that's more recent there, isn't it? No, that was on top of the dreads. Was it? I believe so. I... I was sure that that was a woman when I was a wee boy. It was it just blew my mind to find out that it was actually a guy. Well, you wouldn't make that mistake these days. No. And uh, diff- we're all the better for it. Different times. Yes. Happy Pride, y'all. Was that this week? Yeah, the the parade in Lansing is tomorrow. Is it really? Yeah. I saw something quite disturbing about Lansing on the on your Facebook feed. Yes, yes, a Lansing cop was beating a teenager up. Yikes. Yeah. I don't know why you mentioned that on this podcast. I have no idea. What are you drinking? Uh, I have a Tivana. It is pineapple berry blue. And I have a Synergy kombucha. Gingerberry. So. Gingerberry. That reminds yes. me of. Dingleberry. Yeah. Hmm. But you know what? It's all good because before now I was drinking lots of tang. Out of a giant cooler thermos that was covered in mayflies. So I'm I'm happy to not be picking insects out of my beverages. They were quite mental, I saw that. They were quite mental. That video that you posted. Yeah. Yeah, and that wasn't even the worst of it. <laughs> yeah, like- eventually you got you you just got used to them and like I said, just I would pick them out of my coffee and still drink it. They don't bite though, right? No. No. They're just, they're just annoying. annoying. The hell out of you. Yeah. yeah. I'll take it over mosquitoes. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm bitten raw again. They like you because you're sweet. I got bit on my wow. tenant slagger tattoo. Aww. And it's right on the black bit that's <laughs> outlining the the big red T. Right. And so now the line's kind of broken. I hope it. When it heals, the it'll be fine. The ankle'll still be there, right? It'll be fine. Just don't scratch it. If you scratch oh, it, you'll it's mess too it up. Late. I've scratched it. Oh damn you! Don't scratch it. Don't let my sleep. I'm sure. Oi. Again, this is typically where you ask me what I'm drinking. <laughs> what you drinking? Oh, nothing exciting. Bush any again? Bush. Not bad actually. The mountains. I got the Heineken stuff, but oh, the bush is open. All right, and it's right so here in the room. Yeah. We need to get like a mini fridge or something for the office. Oh, a wee fridge would be a good idea. Yeah, like a little college dorm fridge. Mm-hmm. Or like the fridge. No, not the, not the fridge in your mom's house, but a fridge in a typical British house. A flat. Like a teeny tiny one under the sink. Right. Right next to the teeny tiny washing machine. Everything's so small in your country. No, sure, they're decent sized. No, your mom did. Your mom had a decent fridge. But the majority of houses I've been in, in the British Isles, have wee ones. Did it? Yeah. I don't think that's a thing at all. Mm. I think my mum's was kind of standard. Yeah. Her kitchen was wee, though. Oh, it was very, very toty. Her house was wee. Exceptional toty. Yeah, but it had a very loud carpet. I was reminded of it when I was at the Grand Hotel. <laughs> they have some loud Victorian carpets there as well. I can bet. Yeah, quite mm. floral. Yes. Christopher Reeves' movie was filmed there once. 
At the Grand Hotel. Which movie? Uh, somewhere in Time. Uh, not, not familiar with it. Yeah, me neither. Shall we get going on this then? <laughs> oh, I suppose. Oh, so tired. <laughs> it was a good week. I did enjoy it. Yeah, lots of good stuff. I, I have no complaints this week. No complaints? No, no. I love the Baileys. They're the my, Baileys are good. Uh, that's my new the new favorites. family that's joined the, the show. Yes. Yay! We finally have... God, I was going to call them African-American. Diversity not, on the street. They're not African-American. But they're not African-American. They're just... I don't know. Do they call them African... British? Afro-British? No. They just say black. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a black family that's moved into number three. three. And they've torn out that awful wallpaper. I'm they've so happy. made their mark. <laughs> yes, they have. Yeah, I found them quite entertaining. And yeah, just the... I think it was... There's quite a bit of light-hearted, fun bits that I yes. really enjoyed. Ken was a bit racist, but that's okay. Ken? We expected yeah. that. Yeah, Ken. Hmm. <laughs> but we start this week uh, talking about Nick and David. <clears throat> yeah, we do. I've kind of tried to strip out the uh, Adam and Sarah bits out of the storyline. Why? It's totally off part of the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I didn't really feel. I, I felt their romance didn't really have much to do with the. Well, the only Nick reason David, why they're having a romance is because. He's 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 doing it for her pro bono. <laughs> yes, he's pro boning her. <laughs> pro boning her. So Nick is taking care of Ollie in the morning, and Leanne gets up thinking that she's mad, colluding with Nick. She says she had no choice, and Nick has been speaking with Adam. Nick wants his factory back. So Nick tries to muscle his way into the factory slash community centre, but Sarah tells him that if he comes back. There will be a mass walkout, and this seems to be backed up by the Nicker people who all tell Nick to get to fuck. That's correct. You've not heard the last of this, says Nick. This time tomorrow, I'll be behind my desk. Which I thought was a weird thing to say. Well, sitting behind his desk. Or just behind his desk. Mm. In the factory slash community centre. Nick is a slug. <laughs> yes, as John pointed out. <laughs> Maria and David and Gail are on their way to open the barbers when Nick happens along. What's going on here then? And David explains about signing the place over to Audrey, so at least she gets some of her money back. And Nick, and Nick is offended by this. Yeah. He's affronted by the act of goodwill that his brother has bestowed upon his grandmother. Yeah, Nick calls David a good little altar boy for doing that. And then Gail tells him he's sharp. Yeah, GTF. He's, you know what? It's actually an insult to slugs. He's worse than a slug. He's slimy, but he's not a slug. He's a like, snail? sea cucumber or something. Oh. Just pointless. <laughs> a pointless creature lying at the bottom of the ocean, doing no good to anyone. I'll tell you something, though. He makes a better villain than Gary does. Yeah, he does. Although, Gary might be getting there. This week? I didn't really feel it. Anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah. Roy's Rose, Toya and Leanne are having a square go about Nick and David and Imran and all the lies, and Toya can't believe that Leanne has fallen for it, and now Imran is involved... There's even less chance Lizzie and Nick will wriggle off the hook. She leaves and then Nick arrives complaining that Sarah has turned the Nicker people against him. Leanne points out that everyone hates him and Nick explains that David has gone and given the barbers to Audrey. Lock, stock and beard oil, which is pretty much what I said last week. Oh, I said two smoking beard oils. Or something. (laughs) 
He's not allowed anywhere near, and he's not going to stand for it, and he's prepared to play dirty. Yeah, dirty with what? He signed it over fair and square. David has every right to give it to his gran, and why would he want to take it from his gran? Because what is he going to do? Is he going to take it away from her and then give it back to her so that it's his nice gesture that solves everything? I don't know. What? What? Just... Let it go. Let it go. Maria has had a boring morning at the barber's and goes off for lunch. David phones Natalie and leaves a message just as Nick comes in. Yeah, none of the guys were fit for Maria. David tells him this isn't a good idea and tells him to leave, but Nick doesn't care and he locks the door. They need to talk, he says. Nick has lost everything, but David's life is back to normal. He tells David to do the right thing and take the blame for everything. <laughs> what? We are... No! Why does he... What? What is he smoking? Is <clears throat> marijuana legal over there? Um, no. I don't think so. No. But he's smoking something. But then David realises what's going on. Nick is preventing David from signing in with the police in a breach of his parole conditions. Mm-hmm. And there's a brief struggle as David tries to get the key. And then Maria comes to the rescue and opens the door, allowing David to leave. So we're back at Roy's Rolls with Leanne now, and Nick is now worried that we're going that going to see David wasn't the greatest idea that he's ever had. And he's correct in that. Yes. Because he's an idiot. Leanne thinks that getting to Natalie before David is the key to turning all this around. Then in comes Adam, who seems to be representing Nick, and Nick wants to know what his legal position is if he fires everyone. He's serious. He wants that business back. What happened to Paula? Did he fire Paula? Or is she just handling... Is, is Paula just handling the, the criminal stuff... And Adam's handling the factory stuff and... That seemed to be what was happening, but... It's so confusing. It doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. Adam says that this is risky, but he will do whatever Nick instructs him to do. Meanwhile, David is looking over the CCTV, but Nick has been careful not to step foot where there's coverage. So it looks like David's just arguing with himself. Yeah. And Maria, she strangely doesn't want to get involved in this. Yeah. As this is going on, Leanne has snuck into the barbers and tried to access David's phone in his jacket pocket because this is Corey and no one ever has any real sense of where the phone is at any given time. Correct. Thankfully, she doesn't know the passcode and so she has to abandon the idea. But then David gets a text and Leanne watches as David unlocks his phone and then for no good reason puts the phone back in his jacket, which Leanne then promptly swipes. Why? Are mobile phones such a hindrance to soap operas that everyone has to behave really, really strange with their mobile phone. Uh, Nobody knows where it is. David, rather than putting it in his jeans pocket, leaves it in his jacket pocket. Maybe he just doesn't want to be bothered while he's cutting somebody's hair with constant buzzing on his buttocks. Well, I'll leave it on the counter or something where you can see it. I mean, he doesn't have... Very much padding back there to begin with. I mean, so. you add this to the the fact that nobody ever answers it. You got gas? No, that's the vibrating on on David's ass of the phone. That's why he doesn't put David it in has there. a vibrator in his ass. What show were you watching? Ow! 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 That hurts so much. No, I'm saying that's the reason why he doesn't want his pocket in his his back pocket because why would he put it in his vib- back pocket I don't trust people time. who put phones in their back pocket 
Ones for the watching. Same with your wallet. Your wallet goes in your front pocket. Well, I'm a woman and I don't I don't get back pockets, so and I don't get pockets deep enough to put a phone in to Yeah, women don't with. get pockets. It's a wee shame. Yeah. That's why I'm wearing this hooded sweatshirt that has this big pockety thing that you're supposed to put your hands in for warmth then you can stick your phone in there. Useful. Yeah. But yeah, they just seem to not know how to handle mobile phones and and tell a coherent story around about it. Seriously. It's a it's, it's, serious struggle. It's dumb. I'm never without my phone. And I mean, there were a couple of times this past week that my phone died. And I kind of felt like I was dead uh-huh. as well when it died. If I don't know where my phone is, I'm the same with my phone, my wallet, and my car keys. If I don't know where those three things are at any given time, I freak the fuck out. Yeah, you do. You got me that little tag thing to put on my keys. That you've now lost. No, no. It's <laughs> it, it's still in its box on the floor in the bedroom. I need to stick it on my keychain. Yeah. Although, I ha- strangely, ever since you bought it for me, I haven't lost my keys yet. Because I've got that big ass Kate Spade bag that I got for Christmas from my sister. Right. That everything goes in. Well, that's nice. Yay. Shall we get back to the... <laughs> So Toya meets up with Leanne at the Rovers and Toya doesn't want to argue but immediately has another go at Nick. Leanne wants to be on her own and she has a look at David's phone spying through his text conversation with Natalie. She texts Nobody Natalie, notices that, he ha- that she has a, f- a phone that doesn't seem to belong to her. Yep. She texts Natalie as David, uh, pretending to be David, claiming that his life is a mess and that he misses her. When this doesn't get a response, she sends another text but we don't get to see what this says until we cut to Natalie in her apartment. And we see that the text says, I've left Shona. Natalie smiles and then takes a massive bump of coke. Are you okay? Asks <laughs> Natalie. And Leanne texts back, I want to see you. Oh. It's like a hostel she's living in, yes? Yeah, it was a, yeah, just a flat, wasn't it? I thought. Well, it was kind of weird because it was big and there were all those stairs that we view for her from the top and stuff. It seemed more like a hostile situation than a flat situation yeah maybe hmm. Leanne's back home and explains to Nick that she has David's phone and admits that this now makes her as bad as him correct actually it makes her worse because she knows this is wrong yep. whereas I don't think Nick knows this is wrong the way he still continuing to insist that David take the blame makes me think that there's there's some wiring crossed in Nick's brain where he doesn't really know right from wrong. He's kind of a sadomasochist. Well, that'd be the sadomasochist or would it be the other kind of masochist? What's the other kind of masochist? Sadomasochist and then... Oh, I can't remember. And you obviously have no idea by no the idea look on your about. face. Like all the different psychoses and psychosis where you don't know right from wrong anymore. That it's all kind of the same to you. I think it's sadomasochism. Let's just go with that. Is it? Because that's been sadistic. Right. Or is it masochistic? I don't know. Anyway, he he has... He's a dick, basically. He's a sea cucumber. (laughs) Thoughts on Leanne kind of breaking bad here? And catfishing Mm. Natalie? Well, like I said... Like I said before, like I said last week, it was like, oh, here she goes. She's 
she's taking a turn as Lady Macbeth. Right. She wants to keep that flat. She wants to keep a roof over her son's heads and stability for her sons. Yeah, I suppose. But she is still keeping Nick at arm's length. She's not, you know, she's not following back into his arms. Right. She's helping him because it helps her, you know. She's kind of made the decision to back him up and back right. him up means that she has to... Do awful things. Yeah. It's been a while since we've seen evil Leanne. Although she's not evil, but... Yeah. But like I said, it's worse because she mm. actually does know right from wrong. Correct. Yeah. So Tracy drops off Natalie, but not before she imprisons her in the taxi until she gets fully paid. She wants At the grocery store. She wants a tenner from her £6.20 fare. Natalie texts who she thinks is David, giving her address and promising him his hole. Tracy thinks she recognises Natalie from somewhere, but she can't quite put her finger on it. Is it Love Island? She thought yeah, Natalie was like Love Island. Yeah. Yeah. At the barbers, David has finally realised that his phone's missing. Shona comes in. <laughs> She's not had any luck tracking Natalie down. David thinks it's a lost cause, but Shona's not for giving up. Do they not have Find a Phone? You know, where you can get on one of your other electronic devices and find <laughs> your phone. You know, or or Shona could use Find a Friend. Right. You know, they Jenny could tell her all about tracking apps. Yep. You know. Although Jenny's app only tracked Liz. <laughs> no, it tracked, it tracked Johnny as well. That's what it did. But still, I mean, you used it this week and it showed you that I was <laughs> right in the middle of a lake. Yep. <laughs> and I chose not to get worried about that. I was on the ferry. I was fine. Right. So Sarah is in Roy's roles and has lawyered up. She listened to Adam about his greed, his womanising, his accent and his stupid tie. How do you like them apples? Adam tells her that he's refused to represent Nick, he didn't want to get involved, and he's also spoken to Peter to get Carla's approval for her to run the factory in their absence. How'd you like them apples? Oh, pig's tits, says Sarah. And Matt Damon silently weeps along the side. Matt Damon does? Yeah. How do you like them apples? Do you like apples? Do you like apples? Why are you shouting at me? Well, I got her number. How do you like them apples? Goodwill Hunting? Oh, I think I've seen it once. It's like the iconic scene where he gets the posh girl's number. And... Did that feature in the Sarah Silverman song, I'm Fucking Matt Damon? I can't remember. That's very funny. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feature at all in the Hello Peril song, I Punched Keanu Reeves. Okay. Which is also a good and funny song. And one that everyone should listen to. That was my first exposure to Sarah Silverman, was that song. <laughs> and now our ch- our children are watching a movie in which she is a voice. Aren't they? Yeah, they're watching uh, uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2. Ralph oh. Breaks the Internet. Did you mean that was terrible? Oh, you didn't see that? I saw one of them. You saw the first one. Yeah, you haven't like seen it. the second one. Leanne turns up at Natalie's and forces her way in. She wants a little chat and reveals that she has David's phone. Then in the rovers, Tracy sees David and twigs where she's seen Natalie before. Who was that rough bird that worked at the barbers? What Gail? asks David. <laughs> no, Natalie, says she. <laughs> Thanks to data protection, Tracy can't reveal where she dropped Natalie off. So David bribes her and Tracy gives the address. And David and Shona run off. Leanne wants Natalie to lie and say it was all David's idea, but 
Natalie refuses. David is a good person who doesn't deserve this. Nick is a rat. She's not going to stand up in court and lie. Plus, well, she'd still go down for it anyway as well. Well, maybe you don't have to, says Leanne. Then back at the flat, Leanne explains to Nick that Natalie won't be backing Nick up. But then we see Shona and David turn up at Natalie's flat, but her flatmate tells her that Natalie is gone. And they trick us because her flatmate is wearing the exact same shirt she was wearing earlier when she was talking to Leanne. Right. And they have the same color hair yep. and the same haircut. That was cheeky. Back with Nick and Leanne, Leanne tells Nick that she convinced Natalie to leave the country. Hmm. <sighs> Leanne took her to the airport herself and then barks mm. at Nick for forcing her to cross this line. Uh, hmm. You think Leanne had the money for a ticket to a different country? Wherever. Or, you know, well, I suppose if she's still in, within Europe, I mean, Brexit hasn't gone through yet, so she, she could still go anywhere in Europe. But still, I find this suspect. Yeah, I didn't really like this no way of getting rid of natalie and we don't see this no which is always suspect and then back at the house david is gutted and thinks that this means that he's going to be going back to prison oh yeah leanne took her to the airport herself and put her on an airplane walked her through security Mm -hmm. did all that stuff did all that in an afternoon hmm Hmm. And she was able to pack up all of her stuff in GTF. And her her flatmate is confused because she just did a full shopping and then she just disappears. Right. Hmm. On Wednesday then, in Roy's Rolls, Sean and David are wondering how Natalie got tipped off about uh, them looking for her. David thinks this has got Nick written all over it. At the flat, Nick is still fretting about Natalie and Leanne tells him to grow up here and man up. She put her neck on the line for him, and the last thing she needs is for him to fall apart. Correct. Then Nick gets a call from Adam. Nick turns up at Adam's, and he's unhappy to see Sarah there. They try to fool Nick into thinking that Carl has made Sarah a director, but he doesn't fall for it, so Sarah resorts to threatening to walk, which means the Nicker people will go on strike. Nick, again, doesn't fall for it. You must try harder, he says. Fuck you, Nick. (laughs) Adam turns up at Nick's and appeals to his common decency. I guess. <laughs> because he doesn't have any. He's going to need all the people he can get on his side. Why treat his sister this way? She's doing an amazing job and he would be better off having her as a friend than an enemy. And this seems to give Nick something to think about. Yes. And it's true. And, you know, it's the sort of advice that gives Nick something that he wants. Right. So it's advice that he's actually going to listen to. Then Leanne comes into Roy's Rolls while David is still there chatting with Shona and Leanne claims to know nothing about the disappearance of Natalie and claims that David is paranoid. She quickly leaves when David tells her about Nick trying to make David break his parole conditions and then he and Shona eventually deduce that Leanne has something to do with a stolen phone. Because Shona asks Nick, or David, when was the last time you had your phone? It was at the barber's. He was he got a text message from... Shona, why did you do your family guy voice? I don't know. It was no weird. Idea. So weird. Um, it was a text message from Shona, uh, not Shona, Sinead, about beard oil. And then he put it back in his pocket and then he was talking to Leanne. <gasps> Leanne! <laughs> ding, 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 ding. So they go to check the CCTV and Shona spots that Leanne was hanging around the coats 
And now they're absolutely convinced that she's the one who swiped the phone. Because she did. Why do you think it took Shona this long to ask him when was the last time you had your phone? Because that's typically the first question you ask me yeah. when I lose my phone. Yeah. Where did, did you, you last have it? Because that's typically where it is. Right. Leon has replaced Adam with Sarah and Gary and explains how she's changed her tune and she thinks that Sarah is now doing a wonderful job. This is in the Rovers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And thinks that Sarah is doing a wonderful job and Nick is lucky to have her. And Sarah, she seems quite suspicious about this. Correct. Because they're all at the Rovers celebrating because Adam has gotten Nick to give a directorship to Sarah. Yep. So they're celebrating with some bubbly Adam and... Awkwardly Gary and Sarah. Yeah, which I'll get to in the other storyline. Right. I probably should have kept all that together. Yeah. Are we going anywhere with this? Are we going anywhere with what? With the David and Nick stuff. Because their court appearance should be coming up pretty soon, I would have thought. Yeah, and hopefully this time we'll get to see it. Unlike last time when they didn't show it to us. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping that this finally comes to a head i thought we were almost done with this but it seems to be dragging a little bit now just like the roof stuff seems to be dragging but we seem to be taking a break from the roof stuff because carla is in it has been sectioned in carlisle in carlisle which is practically scotland and peter and simon are up there with her yeah i think one of them's going to go to jail neither of them going to go i can see both of them getting off somehow what do you think really happened to natalie I do think that Leanne took her to the airport. You do? Threw in a plane. Hmm. The first plane going anywhere. Hmm. Where she's going to go when she has no money. Hmm. I was living in a hostel. Yeah. And had no job. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) That's a bit stupid. Yeah. I don't think we've seen the last of Natalie. No. And I don't think Natalie would have been convinced that quickly. I think it's very interesting that we cut away from that scene. What was in it for her to leave the country? That she wouldn't be, she wouldn't go to jail, apparently. Right. Of course, Leanne and Natalie apparently have never heard of, you know, extradition laws and things like that. Oh, so she's going to Spain then, which doesn't have extradition treaties with Britain. Or Sweden. Isn't it Sweden that uh, the guy with the white hair, who claims to be a journalist, but he's actually just a dick... Julian Assange. Yes. No, he went to the Ecuadorian embassy. Oh, that's right. Ecuador. They also don't have an extradition law. Yeah, I don't think Manchester has many flights to Ecuador. <laughs> no. <laughs> Unless she flew, or, if she drove her all the way to Heathrow and put her on a plane there. That's just as unlikely, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wish they'd done something different with Natalie. Uh, but we shall see for that. Yeah. Where that goes. So... Let's move on to Ken's new neighbours. Yay! Woot woot! I love annoyed Ken. (laughs) And he's very annoyed this week. Oh, God. And slightly racist. Mm Mm-hmm. He's... uh, Although he's quite contrite when he realises he's been racist, I think. Eventually. But he's uh, ridiculously upset for quite long spells. Right. And unreasonably upset. Right. And then he's not upset... When he finally has a reason to be upset. Right. <laughs> so on Monday, outside number one, Ken is complaining to Sally and Tim about the building work that's going on next door. It's these new owners, you see. Ken later is complaining to a man he assumes to be a workman. 
The noise from number three is unbearable. He's been trying to watch his documentary three times now. The guy says they're going as quick as they can and winds Ken up saying that the people who are moving in have ten kids who play in a brass band. <laughs> Ken, who doesn't realise that he's the one being played here, no. shits himself. We know this man is Ed. He's part of the Baileys, the new family that's moving in. Yes. But Ken doesn't know this. Yes. We finally get a little bit of colour on Coronation Street. Well, Ken is complaining to Jenny and the Rovers about the noise from next door when Ed comes in, looking to buy Kenny a drink, as he calls him. Kenny. As way of an I apology. I hope this continues. Ken refuses and heads home to finish watching his precious fucking documentary. Uh, what? What is the documentary even about? We'd, we'd never we find d- out. We'd never find out. I'm just trying to watch a documentary. I mean, he's such a caricature of himself, isn't he? Yep. Ed keeps up the pretense that there are ten kids moving in and all of them have pets. Then and Wednesday, Gemma is impressed because she doesn't know how she's going to feed four, much less ten. That's right. Ken is still being unreasonable on Wednesday to the new neighbours about the noise and is now threatening to go to the council about them. Meanwhile, Tracy's having problems with the sat-nav in her taxi. It keeps trying to send her to Aberdeen. <laughs> that was odd. Yeah, it was weird. Because nothing happened about that. Well, I, I think it was just... A one-off line, mm-hmm. because apparently, for the people on the street, Scotland is in Antarctica. Yeah, and Aberdeen is way beyond the wall. Right, yes. Ivan <sighs> is showing Ed around the builder's yard while his eldest, Michael, is preparing for a meeting with his bank manager for a business loan. He has an idea for an app that will applaud for you at a gig when you have your hands full. It will clap for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ed needs some help loading up the van and along comes Gary to help out. He asks Ed for a job, but Ed seems to have heard about Gary and advises him to look elsewhere. Yeah. Ken is still bitching to Ed about the noise. Enough's enough, he says. He wants a number for the new owner and Ed reluctantly gives him a number and wishes him luck, saying that she's a right battle axe, he's going to need all the luck he can get and he wouldn't recommend getting on the wrong side. Yeah. And at number one, Ken seems to have taken heed of Ed's warning. Have you ever called me a battle axe? I don't think so. Okay. I'm certainly not going to admit it. <laughs> if, I, if I had. I don't think so. Is it Aggie? Aggie. Aggie. Aggie's the new owner and she's home at the moment and he talks Tracy into having a word with her and Tracy immediately passes this task on to Steve. Yeah, like, Ken is all, like, big and bad with a guy he assumes can't possibly be the owner. Right. But when it comes to actually talking to the new owner, he doesn't want to do it himself. No. So Steve meets Aggie. He has no balls. No. He meets Aggie, who invites him in, and Ed admits to letting Ken believe that he was just a builder. Then Steve sees young James, and Aggie wonders if the two of them know each other. Because they give each other the side eye, like, oop, and I, oop. So they claim not to know each other, and that seems to placate Aggie, who insists that Steve stays for a cuppa and a chocolate shoe. Yay! Ed and Aggie question Steve about his job, and James, for no apparent reason, announces that he knows that Steve is a taxi driver. And it all eventually comes out about the accident and the baseball bat and all that good stuff. Yay! Steve makes his excuses. Taking the chocolate shoe with him. And leaves. So then Ed and Aggie give James a hard time for messing around with those mates of his. Along comes Michael, who manages to defuse the situation by getting James to say that he's never going to see those mates of him again. Mates of him? Mates of his, again. When Ken's in the rovers with Steve and Tracy, he can't believe that Ed is actually the new neighbour. He's mortified. And he begs Tracy to be nice to them. (laughs) 
Hidden Aggie, make the first appearance I'm in the world. I'm mortified that I'm racist and assume that it was another white family moving in. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm introduced to Sean, or they're introduced to Sean, who used to live at number three. But not like that. They seem to have found Sean's stash of presumably gay porno mags in a closet. Either that or that was just a joke. Right. Because Ed likes to wind people up. Correct. Then Aggie spies Steve sitting with Ken and Tracy and she reveals how Steve threatened James with a baseball bat. Which is news to Ken and Tracy. Then Evelyn comes into the rovers and stands right next to Aggie. They don't appear to be hitting it off as Evelyn has jumped to queue uh, ahead of her. But then Evelyn fills Aggie in on Steve and Ken. She says Ken's alright. Steve is a simpleton, she says. And Tracy has all the appeal of a tramp's handshake. And at this... (laughs) Tracy comes over to apologise and offers them to join her table for a drink, which they're keen to do just to get away from Evelyn. And yet Evelyn invites herself she over. Does. <laughs> and tells Tracy she'll take a double bourbon. Double she's, burgundy. She's quite funny. Double bourbon? Steve is a simpleton. I like that line. I thought it was very funny. Which is incorrect because, as we all know, he's a Muppet. Then Aggie and Ed and Evelyn have joined Ken, Steve and Tracy. Ken insists the street is very friendly despite his constant complaining and Aggie promises that all that noisy work will be finished soon. Evelyn and Tracy exchange some barbs about flowers. Evelyn seems keen to undersell Tracy from the corner shop, which Tracy describes as Dev's Weeds. Then things seem to be going well until Steve lets it slip that James was drunk that time they nearly attacked him with a baseball bat and Aggie gets her cue to be furious once again. Right, because he is... Playing footy for Weatherfield, so he's on a very specific diet. Yep. Back at the new house, Aggie gives James a hard time for getting pished, and then they toast to a fresh start. And there's some talk that suggests that they maybe they left the last place under bad terms, or something else was up. Yeah. Kind of got a sense of that, didn't you? I did as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. On Friday, Ken is relaxing and about to start reading when the work starts next door. Eccles is not happy about this. Which was adorable. Then Aggie comes round with a peace offering. A fruitcake. It's a fruitcake. Her mum's special recipe. Ken asks her to join him, which she agrees to do. She promises again that the noisy stuff will be finished today. And Ken seems to struggle cutting the cake. Yeah, it's a bit thick Mm -hmm. and chewy. And apologises again for mistaking Ed for a builder. Aggie, to her credit, says that this was all Ed's fault. He was the one that was winding Ken up. Then Leanne introduces herself to the Baileys. Aggie's working at the pharmacy, it turns out, mm-hmm. and she tells the men to make sure the noisy work is finished today. Later, Ken and Claudia come home to more noise from next door, and it's worse than that. Michael has actually hammered all the way through the wall and is in Ken's front room. Right, yeah, he was supposed to just Oopsie. be taking the plaster down and went a little too hard. Yeah, he's The impression to... that we get is that Michael kind of has his head in the clouds and has lots of ideas that he finds fantastic but like like a, a drill where you have multiple bits yeah, so like, that you don't have to carry it around and it's like a combo drill yeah it's been invented it already, already exists. but he makes a nice drawing of one so he's smart he's got ideas there is that mm-hmm. so uh we're we're doing the whole michael michelle thing separately then yes Michael and Michelle. I hated that. <laughs> See, typing that out, I've made so many mistakes. <laughs> which we shall no doubt get to. <laughs> but before we... Well, yes, I liked... I liked this introduction to the Baileys. 
Yes, I'm quite happy with them. I think they're going to be good fun. Yes, I'm already having good fun with them. I enjoy them. James seems to be the only one that doesn't have much glon about him. That's just because he plays the footy mm-hmm. and that's it. But it seems like he has issues with the fact that his life is so very controlled about who he can hang out with and what he can eat and what he can't eat and things like that. Yeah, he didn't really like it when his dad ordered him a salad roll right, at on wheat. while he was having a bacon sandwich or something like that. Right, yeah, and he wasn't allowed a chocolate shoe right, or fruit cake. Yeah, yeah, so he has these issues with his parents, I guess. Yes. So he's younger than Michael, he's, yes? He's the youngest, right. yes. So, Michael's in his 20s, would you say? Late 20s. He's, he, I, I believe, I believe, actually, he may be early 30s. I believe he's older than, um, I should stop playing with yeah, the screwdriver. please, feel free to stop doing that. I just feel like fidgeting. Um, I believe he's older than Michelle's kids. He's older than 27, but not by much. Oh, really? I believe so. Hmm. Because of the conversation that right. he has with her. So, yeah, so a promising start. Yeah. Uh, on to Sarah and Adam again, then. On Monday, Sarah bumps into Gary on the street. They agree to be mates and arrange to meet up for a drink tomorrow night. So that and was really exciting, wasn't just it? Just mates. Mates and mates only and never anything but mates. Just mates. Mates, Gary, do you know what that means? Not that Sarah wants to mate with you. No. She just wants to be your mate. I don't think she even wants to do that. She's just no, she's bone. just being nice. Mm-hmm. She needs to stop being nice to him. She needs to be an asshole to him so that he gets the message because he's just not getting the message. Right. Meanwhile, Sarah has uh, previously, in the first storyline, she's uh, jumped down Adam's throat. And she apologises for being rude earlier, and he accepts her apology, and they flirt a wee bit, and then Adam goes off to do Adam stuff. Yeah, we he we does. We don't see what that is. I presume he's pulling the head off it. <laughs> on, on Wednesday. <laughs> or washing that greasy hair. Oh, yeah. So awful. It's the worst haircut he could ever have. On Wednesday in Roy's Rolls, Sarah's big shot lawyer is wanting paid and she can't afford it. Luckily, in comes Adam, who offers to represent her. He claims to be ethical now and has turned over a new leaf and instantly talks about misleading Nick about Carl's wishes for the factory and then asks Sarah out. And he rep- he'll he represent her, as we said... Pro bono. Pro bono. Meanwhile, Gary's put his CV together and is confident that things are turning round. He tells Bethany that he has a date with Sarah tonight and everything. Even though she said they'll meet for drinks as mates! Sarah and Adam have adjourned to the Rovers. She's struggling to keep the factory running despite working really hard and in comes Gary, immediately pissed that Sarah's with Adam and questions if they're still meeting up tonight. Sarah dingies him, claiming that she's too stressed from work. She and Adam leave the pub and he'll have another look at the factory's articles of association to see if there's anything he can pull. (laughs) But not like that. Yes. Or probably like that. And meanwhile... Filthy bastard. Gary is alone at the bar. So sad. Bethany meets up with Gary in the Rovers. He's down in the dumps now. His name is mud around here and his date with Sarah is off. It's not a date. Nope. She talks him into going round to the house and cooking her a nice dinner. What does he have to lose, she says. 
Stop it, Bethany. Why? Why why is everybody in Sarah's family trying to get her back together with someone that they know that she fought with constantly and did not have a very good relationship with? What is wrong with these people? And and why do they think that Gary can cook? There's no way in the world he can cook. Well, he used to he he and Sarah used to share cooking responsibilities. Yeah, and the last time that happened he made beans on toast. Yeah. Asshole. Oh, and and Gary tells Sean that he and Sarah are not officially back together, but he's working on it. He seems very confident that they're going to get back together. Yeah, I'm going to mention that in about three minutes. Oh, I thought that it that was before the whole thing with... Uh, I thought that was before Bethany. No. Yeah. So Adam goes round to Sarah to give her the good news about the factory. Mm-hmm. She's, the acting director, she's the acting director of Underworld. Ta-da! Sarah gives him a kiss, which quickly develops into a massive smooch, just as Gary comes to the door. Adam quietly leaves via the back door while Sarah cajoles Gary out the front door on the pretense that she's agreeing to have a pint with him. Yeah, just leave the food there. Don't take it to the kitchen. And Adam finds this all hilarious. Oh, he's Did loving you notice it. that? He is loving it because he, he then decides to be a bit of a fly in the ointment here yeah. and turns up at the Rovers and interrupts Gary and Sarah's uh, pint action. Yeah. He has some more documentation to go over and although Sarah says that Adam is interrupting, Gary's prepared to allow this scene as its business. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that nice of you, Gary? Yeah, sexy business. So Adam gets the champers, which Gary thinks is a bit previous because Nick hasn't signed anything yet. Sarah looks uncomfortable at Adam joining them, but Adam oh. is totally loving it. Yeah, he is. Gary wants to go and celebrate properly, but Sarah knocks him back again. He's happy to take things slow, he says, and Sarah doesn't look like she wants to take things anywhere. And she's no. got lots of work to do, so she leaves him to it. Yeah. This is when she should have said, we're not taking anything slow. We're just mates. Stop it. Because he did the same thing last week. He yep. keeps doing this. Yep. And her family keeps trying to shove her back into this toxic relationship. Then Gary's finishing up the champagne on his own. And here's when he tells Sean that he and Sarah are back on, but they're taking things slowly. Gary says that she means everything to him. That's Oy. not really what's happening because Sarah no. has gone into Adams and she's very keen to get her hole off of him. Yeah, she's even dressed up and put on some heavy, smoky eye yep. makeup. So Adams' dry patch is officially over. It's about to come to an end. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. On oh, Friday, yeah. Sarah and Adam looked like they fair enjoyed getting their hole off each other last night. Yes. Daniel catches them outside Adam's bedroom and they pretend that she's been signing important papers. Yeah, even though the back of her hair is all messed up. Right. Mm-hmm. Daniel isn't falling for it. Outside the flat, Sarah nearly bumps into Gary, who's at the shop or something, but she manages to avoid him by hiding behind a post box. On her walk of shame. Yeah, she enjoyed her walk of shame. Yes, yeah, she did. Later, Daniel wonders if Adam is supposed to be sleeping with these clients. Isn't that, eth- isn't that against ethics? Yeah. Keep that to yourself, says Adam. Not because of any code of ethics, but he doesn't want to rob Gary's nose in it even if he is an idiot. Right. Plus, as we've established, he's doing this a pro bono. We're going to say that yet again. <laughs> Sarah turns up at the lawyer's office. She wants her hole again, and he is happy to oblige. Leanne suspects that something's going on between the two of them and wants to know how much she should be getting uh, billed for. Sarah and Adam later are smooching in the office until Sarah announces that she doesn't want to date Adam. He's not very happy about this at all and reckons that she's keeping her options open. She tells him not to judge her by his standards and then she storms out. That took a bit of a quick turn. They're all ready to go for it again and then... And then not. Yeah. 
So she's, she's, it's been an emotional couple of months for poor Sarah. You know, she lost her flat through no fault of her own. She was sleeping on Lilo's in her brother's living room. Yep. She's eating beans on toast. <laughs> so Adam chases after her. First of all, she stormed out because he was taking advantage. Now she's doing it because he isn't. He's tired of being messed about and she suggests that they cool it and he agrees. Then we see that Gary has seen this little exchange from across the street and he doesn't look very happy at all. No. Gary comes round to number eight to see Sarah. He's making sure she's okay after that argument that he witnessed with Adam. She tells him this has nothing to do with him and with his nose out of joint, he storms out leaving Bethany to wonder why Sarah has to be so nasty to him all the time. Shut up, Bethany. You're supposed to be on your mom's side. And what do you know about healthy relationships? Madam. Yeah, no, a huge amount. Not at all. She's still going to be Ryan. I thought they said they were just going to be mates now. Again? I don't know. Adam is in the Rovers explaining to Daniel about how he wants to settle down now that he's in his 30s and that. All his relationships so far have been meaningless, except the one they had with Eva. He reckons that he might be a diversion for Sarah and he's not really happy about that. Daniel wonders if maybe Sarah just wanted to take it slow to start off with before all the gossip mongers get going. Then and he's Be- got a point. Then Bethany catches up with Sarah and tells her to be straight with Gary, which she promises to do. But instead, she's sitting in the little booth and she texts Adam and asks to meet her in the yard. <laughs> so at the back of the rover, Sarah admits to Adam that she's been a pain and it's because of Gary. She feels guilty but insists she's moved on and then says that Gary hasn't. She doesn't want to rub his nose in it, which is what Adam said about two days ago. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to commit to another long-term relationship this quickly. Correct. And that's fine by me, says Adam. And they arrange to go to a hotel on Monday for oh. the king-size bed and plenty smooch. more whole action. And they smooch. And I was like, oh, somebody's going to walk out on this, but nobody, nobody does. does. I kind of like the two of them together. Me too. I think I think it works. Even if they go slow, I think it works. Right. You know? Good. Mm-hmm. It's good. So is this what's going to push Gary into... Killing somebody? <laughs> yeah, that killing spree that we're all hoping for. Ugh, where's Jude when you need him? I know. So the, the, this again is the, the Gary, the villain here, has just been... It's He's not really dull. a villain. He's pathetic. Yeah, he's pretty dull. He's not taking the hint. And there's been plenty of them laid down for him to pick up. So it's not... He doesn't seem threatening by any stretch of the imagination. He just seems pathetic. Yep. He's a sad sack. Oh, yes. He's a wee sad sack, yeah. yeah. He's not doing his leaning forward and <laughs> sticking his forehead out. Yeah, kind of his, his, uh, his injuries from almost being murdered. He's finally got all that jam off his face. Yeah, yeah. And those broken ribs seem to have healed themselves. Quite nicely. Yeah. Our next storyline tonight is Lovely Horse. On Monday, Tim's dad. Mm-hmm. Mm, he isn't happy that Yasmin is going to muck out the horse, but Sally points out that it's her turn, and now that Sinead and Jenny have pulled out, they need to give Tim a break, even though Tim was quite happy to do it. Right. So Tim's dad is at streetcars, and he gives Tim a hard time about Yasmin having to muck out the lovely horse. GTF, Tim's dad. Tim's dad thinks that she should have a lie-in, and reckons that Yasmin is ready to pack in the syndicate as well. Abby tells Tim's dad that Yasmin really needs to speak to Sally then. And she also says that Tim is smitten 
with the horse. Yes. So Tim's dad turns up at Sally's. She's just coming off the phone with the vet. It seems that the lovely horse needs some expensive shots. Tim's dad butters Sally up and then says the horse is just a bit of expensive fun. He says Yasmin has acted in haste and has had a change of heart and wants to pull out. But not like that. No. Tough shit, says Sally. She's had legal advice and has grounds to sue everyone in the syndicate. Correct. Get it fucking ringy, Tim's dad, you prick, she says. Are we doing right up your ass for this? Are we doing that somewhere else? Uh, No, I don't think I said you can stick up your ass. I didn't say that, did I? No, you could have. Tim's dad's background at streetcars complaining about Sally. You can't bully people into owning a horse, he says. Nobody bullied her. She agreed to it. GTF. You're just mad because this isn't time being spent with you, you selfish, greedy prick. (laughs) Tim stands up for the lovely horse and Tim's dad storms off, bitterly unhappy about how Yasmin chooses to spend her own money. At her time. Then Yasmin's at the Rovers complaining to Jenny, this horse is too much work for her, too much money. She wants to pull out and it's all Tim's dad can talk about. She's exhausted about it. But then Tim rushes home looking for Sally. Abby says that she's working through her lunch or something. Something awful's happened. Tiny's gone. Someone turned up with a horse box and took him. Oh no! And Tim explains that Tim's dad has always been a horrible prick. He told Tim a pack of lies about the fate of his dog, Mr. Biscuits. Yes. He didn't go missing at all. Tim's dad just couldn't be arsed walking him. Tim is convinced that Tim's dad is at the heart of Tiny's disappearance. Because he is a tit. Then Tim approaches Tim's dad and speed dial about Tiny going missing, interrupting Tim's dad from being a dick to Yasmin, who isn't impressed when it comes out that Tim's dad has been trying to get her out of the syndicate without her knowledge. Yeah. He talks to Yasmin like she's a gullible child. Then in comes Sally, who confesses that she was the one who got rid of Tiny. She explains that she got a massive vet spill and no one was picking up the slack, but Tim thinks that Tiny needs him. Tiny makes him happy. He understands Tim. They're connected. And he seems to be having erotic dreams involving the horse now. Right, with the wind flowing through his non-existent hair. <laughs> yes. Sally thinks Tiny is with a loving family now. Well, what about me? Asks Tim. So <laughs> See, Tim we is... can forget that he's he's married to this woman right here. Yeah. So Tim is moping in the pub about Tiny. Steve offers him to come on a walk with Rover, but it's not the same. Steve thinks Tim is like Tony Soprano with his ducks. Tim is depressed about losing his best friend, which Steve takes exception to. Did you say ducks? Yeah. Did Tony Soprano do things with ducks? That was dogs. Oh, I thought he said ducks. It's been a while since I've seen the Sopranos, but I don't remember Tony Soprano owning ducks. <laughs> I'm sure he said ducks. Then Abby comes in and drags Tim out. He's got to see something. Sally has brought Tim back. Tiny back. Tiny back. And Tim He's is made bringing up. bringing Tiny back. Then on Wednesday, Tim is still in the mood with Sally about Tiny. He's given her the silent treatment. And then Sally and Abby wind him up singing Champion the Wonder Horse at him. What's that, Tiny? Tim's trapped down the abandoned well. That was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. Sally meets up with Yasmin and Roy's roles. Yasmin pays Sally but doesn't think she can help mucking out because she's got a job to do. She doesn't really have all that spare time. And plus, Tim's dad's a prick. Sally admits to Yasmin that Tim's in love with Tiny and Yasmin reminds Sally that there's something that she can do that a horse can't. And that is to fuck Tim. They were ducks, not Yay, dogs. There you go. Yes, he was. He had an attachment to wild ducks that took up residence in his pool, mm-hmm. and when that, de- and then suffered from depression and had an anxiety attack when the ducks 
finally left. When they finally ducked off. Yeah. Tim's home and Sally's dressed up as a jockey and she wants to go upstairs to get her hole. Let's play horsey, she says. And Tib seems to... Very pleased about this. Yes, he is. And then later, Sally's in her house coat, but she's still wearing the rider's hat. And she's still got her crop. Yeah. Tim's Tim, in a house coat as well. Tim likes the idea of keeping the horse and calling it their project. Then Sally's keen to get her hole again. Yes. So off they go. Yes. Do you know what uh, our carriage horses were named on Mackinac Island? How would I possibly know that? Oh, I do know that. Yes. There's Marlon and Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I did, I did read that on Facebook. That was pretty funny. Horses and names. So funny. So, where do you think we'll... I I, I don't think we're going to be talking... Oh, I and, and Yasmin... I horse very much anymore. And Yasmin finally gives Sally money for the horse. Yeah, I said that. Did you? Mm-hmm. I must have been looking at Tony Soprano's ducks at that time. Let's talk about Gemma's quads. Just a couple of... <laughs> A couple of scenes like on Monday. That. Chesney doing these sums. They're going to be fucked in nappies and formula, he says. The whip round doesn't even going to touch the sides. And Gemma says, well, then I'll breastfeed. And Chesney says, what? You got four boobs. <laughs> Gemma tries to see the bright side, but Ches says, love doesn't buy baby food. Later at the Rovers, Gemma checks with Gary about the ginger states Wasn't of his that's kids. that's a tagline to love story? Love doesn't buy baby food. Correct. <laughs> uh, seemingly, neither of them are afflicted. Gary says it's not a disease. That is, though. She that tells... was pretty funny, though, because you called that. Mm-hmm. You said that she was going to be worried that all of her kids were going to be ginger. Right. She tells Chesney that they need every penny they can get their hands on. And that's all that happened in that storyline. So that's kind of getting nudged forward a little oh, bit. Oh, and uh, um, she eats lots of hot pots because her medications are working now. And she wants to eat as much as she can before she starts puking again. Yeah. She's just firing through the hot pot. Right, and Jenny is giving them to her for free, but then Chesney insists that they pay because he doesn't want to impose on people's generosity until they need to. Oh, and also some of that whip-around money went to stretchy leggings. Was it? Yeah. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, that was in the very beginning when she said she spent some of the whip-around money already and... And Chessie said, that's for the babies. And she says, no, it's for the family. And I'm part of this family. Right. And I bought some stre- extra stretchy leggings, which she's going to need when she's enormous. Yeah. With four babies. Yikes. Four babies. 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 Bring on the babies. Talking about the babies, let's talk about Sinead and Bertie now. Who's a baby? Just another few scenes about this on Friday. Mm-hmm. Sinead is looking after Bertie while she packages up the beard oil Daniel reckons that that would make a good Father's Day present and Sinead is quite excited about Daniel's Father's Day present and then she gets a notification from the hospital that she's got an MRI scan coming up yeah. which Daniel appears to be quite worried about and she says don't worry about it they're just trying to keep an eye on me which is you know what you do with people who have had cancer then Beth and Sinead bump into each other outside the kebab shop Sinead explains about the appointment next week and asks Beth to look after Bertie, which she agrees to do. And then Beth looks like she's quite worried about this appointment as well. Mm-hmm. And she's also worried because currently Ken is watching the baby and and Beth is sad and lonely because Kirk is off on his worldwide concert tour. So oh. she's she's getting 
fish and chips for she gets a kebab for dinner, dinner again yeah because she can't be bothered to cook for one then Ken and Claudia are looking after Bertie, but Ken is more interested in taking photos of the graffiti that's on the wall with his fancy telephoto lens that he's got for his phone camera. As opposed to taking photos of Claudia. Of Claudia. He says, move over to the left. Just a little bit more. A little, more. A little bit more. And she finally realises that he's not trying to take a picture of her. Yeah, he's just... It's hilarious. Getting it out. <laughs> so then Beth comes along and says that she'll be closing her curtains tonight with uh, that big lens that, that Ken suddenly got. Lens. Claudia tells her that she didn't bother, and then Beth takes Bertie off their hands. Right, because they're neglecting him while they take naughty pictures of graffiti. Then she takes them back round to Sinead, and she complains about uh, Ken taking photos, but Beth also reckons that she can take a better photo than Ken. But Sinead lists a load of terrible photos that she's taken, <laughs> and suggests that Beth take a photography class, which she doesn't want to do because she doesn't want to be stuck with people like Ken. Which is a fair point. Yeah. Although, not everybody... Who likes to do photography is like Ken. The scan is going to be good news or bad news? <sighs> bad news. I think it's going to be bad news as well. Yeah. 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 Oh dear. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Beth is going to take up a photography class. <laughs> that seems like it's going to be fun. I, Beth needs something to do while Kirk is gone. Uh. Is this the penultimate storyline? Yes, it is. The penultimate storyline for tonight. Woot woot. Educating Abby. On Friday, Abby is making arrangements to get her next lesson off of Brian, but Cathy reminds him that she's having a ladies fondue night. So Brian arranges to meet at the cafe instead. It's a 70s night. They're, yeah. And they're going I wonder to be, if there's going to be a key party with those four ladies. Oh dear, they're going to be studying poetry. <laughs> it's not in the syllabus for the GCSE, but poetry is such a powerful use of language, says Brian. Abby doesn't look all that convinced. So she does know one limerick, though. Yes, a man from Nantucket. Once, there once was a man from Nantucket. It's funny that that particular limerick seems to have seems to be international, considering where Nantucket is. It's Massachusetts, isn't it? Correct. Roy Rose is having problems with her cooker. There's no hot food. Ed comes in and he can recommend an engineer. Shula wants to put up a sign. And this all ensures that the place is quiet later for Abby and Brian doing their... Uh, Coursework. Do you find it odd that it's just now that the water that was dripping when Carla was flooding the flat has knocked out the power for the stove? Two weeks later. Yeah. yeah that's quite strange. Hmm. Or was it maybe a different leak? No, no. Th- well, they said it was because of water from mm-hmm. upstairs. Hmm. So Brian is, at, is with Abby at Roy's Rolls and he reads her a sonnet which she spots rhymes and he's very impressed. Brian is explaining about sonnets in Shakespeare when Roy pipes up that the Shakespearean model follows a different structure. Then He's Brian correct. lets it slip that Abby's studying for a GCSE, which she isn't impressed with. But uh, Roy says self-improvement's always a good thing. Yes. Does anyone give a shit about any of this stuff? Abby asks, and Brian makes that Brian face. Yes. Abby is struggling understanding another poem until Roy explains it for her. Yes. Abby wonders why Brian didn't explain it like that and he says he would rather that she forms her own opinions and comes to her own conclusions and she says that she has formed an opinion. It's fucking rubbish. Then Brian is explaining Victorian attitudes about death while Roy is tidying up. And he seems... He talks about, uh, you know, death photos and the fact that people would, you know, prop up they're recently dead relatives. The way he says it makes it seem seem like they dug them up. They dug them up and, and propped them up. 
for pictures to take pictures with their dead relatives, you know, because of their obsession with death. But it was really just photography was brand new. And if you wanted to get a picture with your whole family, if one of them dies, you want to get that picture now. Because it was not cheap back then to take a photo. I'll just imagine that Victorian times were just a continual weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) You know, and it's... It's not that they were obsessed with death. It was just that death was something that was much closer to life in the Victorian age. Right. When, you know, you cough once and it kills five people. Yeah. Then Brian starts talking about trinkets and stuff and mentions things like rings. And Roy assumes that he's having a dig about his mum's ring, which he has no desire to know anything about. Thank you very much. Which is weird. And he throws Brian and Abby out, calling Brian a busybody. It, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. He found something out that he doesn't want to share. Mm-hmm. So later, Brian apologises to Roy, but Roy doesn't want to hear it. Nope. So Brian says, fuck you, I'm going to take my business elsewhere then. Yeah, go fuck yourself, Roy. Yep. Yeah, it's quite clear that Roy has discovered something on that his That he doesn't want trip. people to know about. What could that possibly be? Maybe his dad's not really his dad, or his mum's not really his mum. Right. Something along those lines. This is all about who this RP is. Yeah. His real dad is RP. Maybe. Or his real mum is RP and he's adopted. That's why, you know, he was so keen to foster so many children. Because deep down he knew he was adopted as well. Ta-da! There we go. That'll do it. So, our final storyline for tonight is about Michelle and Robert and also... Michael. On Wednesday, Maria has seen Michael and she likes what she sees. <laughs> she behaves in quite a schoolgirl fashion with Michelle as Michael comes over to speak to them. But rather than give Maria the chat, he goes for Michelle and asks her out, but he blows it when he says that he never went for the younger women and off she goes to work. Yeah. Poor Maria. Yeah. Seriously. Out of the two of them? Hmm. You would do them both, wouldn't you? I don't. I don't really like Michelle that much. Well, you don't. I think I prefer Maria. You don't have to like someone to have sexual relations with them. Oh, this is true. This is true. We know this is true because our beloved president has many children. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Maria, uh, let's see. Well, Michelle and Robert are uh, getting on fairly well at the bistro, and comes Michael, who has successfully tracked Michelle down. Uh, he gives Michelle some chat and asks her if she wants to go somewhere more upmarket. Robert is fine with this and tells her that she can leave her shift if she wants and Michelle seems a little perturbed by this nonchalance. Back at number three, Michael is looking to get ready for his hot date when Aggie and Ed tell him that he needs to take care of his stuff that's at the old house and it needs to be done today while it's still theirs. So at the moment they own two houses because they own number three and they own their old place. And then they, they were able to buy the yard from Eileen. So I think maybe it's just that the new owners haven't taken ownership yet. Is that it? No. No, because it's still theirs for another day. So they, they currently have... Right, but like it's still theirs for another day because the ownership transfers on a specific day. Right, and typically that happens when you buy your new house. Right. You don't normally have two houses. And a builder's yard. Well, sometimes they seem to have a bit of money. 
to to allow, allow that to happen. Hmm. Maybe this is all why they have a little secret that they're keeping from us. Hmm. Anyway, Michelle is ready for a date, which is going to be at the bistro after all. Bethany observes that Michelle and Robert are both being all grown up, grown up about this. Michelle and Michael's date seems to be going well, but he's amazed that she has 27-year-old sons, and he can't understand why they're not twins. He tells her that he started a t-shirt business when he was at uni, and he hasn't looked back since. And then he tries to take credit for the Keep Calm and Carry On shirts, and has his <laughs> mind blown again when Michelle tells him it's from World War Two. At first he's like, the Iraq the War? The Iraq War? Michelle and, and Michael have finished at the bistro and Michelle suggests the rovers, but Michael thinks going round to his place is a better idea, but he promises no funny business. So they go to the house and Mike, Michael is talking about his stupid app again, the clapping, the clap app. Michelle says one hand clapping, which seems to come as a surprise to Michael, who then gets a call from his brother and he has to step out of the room. He's like, that should be the tagline. Yep. The clap app. It sounds like an app that you would use to self-diagnose your sexual disease. Sexual, yeah, STD. She says, you've got the clap, and then gives you a little round of applause. (laughs) Michael comes back in, and Michelle has found an enormous bra in a cardboard box. Full of enormous bras. What's going on here, she says. She warns him that she has mace and a rape alarm, and then the police turn up at the door. Next door have grassed them up. This house is supposed to be empty. But then Aggie and Ed get a call from the police to go around to their old house to clear everything up. And they offer Michelle a ride home, which she finds hilarious and Michael finds embarrassing. She can't remember the last time that she got a run home from her date's parents. Right, and she and Aggie seem to take to one another rather quickly, which is nice. On Friday, Michael is helping to get out the new house and Michelle winds him up about living with his mum and dad. It's a long story, he says, and is interested in having another date with her. She brushes him off, but in quite a friendly manner. Mm-hmm. She's trying to get a hold of Robert, but he's not answering his phone, and Daniel reckons that he'll be with these young offenders, which Daniel thinks is a lovely thing to do, and he has a lot of respect for Robert for doing it. Correct. Michelle is regretful that Robert seems to be more into the young offenders than he was ever into her. The beast was quite busy now, and Michelle gives Robert a hard time for not being there earlier. In comes Michael, and Michelle continues to wind him up. He wants to take her to dinner, and she eventually agrees. He gives her his business card, which is misspelled entrepreneur. There's only one P in it. Ha <laughs> ha! Daniel asks Robert where he was, but Robert's evasive again and wonders where Michelle has got to. She's away for a P. But she's coming back from her P when she overhears Daniel and Robert talking about how Robert wishes that he'd had made such a big deal of wanting a baby. He thinks that all goes back to his cancer. This is the trigger for it all. He's in a different place now, and he feels like he's driven Michelle away for nothing. After the busy spell, the bistro is now empty and there's only one booking for tonight, which Robert assumes is Michelle and Michael. Robert doesn't seem to be cool about this anymore. He writes a note for Daniel. He's off to the fucking pub and he grabs his jacket and leaves. So Robert's in the pub where Cathy is boring and rigid about her memories of the 70s, but she thanks him for his fondue tip. Ha <laughs> ha. A little cheesy tip from from Robert. Hmm. Then Daniel comes in and announces that there's an emergency at the bistro and Robert needs to come with him right now. It's better without cheese. And then the emergency turns out to be Michelle, who hasn't seen Michael at all. It was her idea to cancel the bookings so they could have the place to themselves and then make no money at all tonight. Right, and (laughs) and, uh, 
their staff will make no money tonight and won't get paid for tonight. And, I mean, they wouldn't get tips anyway because you people don't tip. No, they'd be salaried. Right. So, yeah, this makes a lot of business sense. Yep. Well. And remember that Michelle is the one who has all the business nouns. Yeah, supposedly. There's something that she needs to ask him. She reveals that she overheard Amelia talking to Daniel and she says that she still loves him. She wants to try again. Robert is speechless until after the break. Robert's just trying to take it all in. Wasn't she seen that Michael bloke, but she says that he's just a kid. She doesn't want dates with random fellas. She wants her life back with Robert. Is it too late? Robert could never stop loving her, but it's not so simple. Time has gone by. He's tried to move on. He needs to think about it. She asks if there's someone else, and again, Robert isn't all that quick to respond. But when he does, he says that there isn't anyone. He's scared to let himself love her and it to go wrong again. Michelle realises how much she hurt him, and Robert says he hurt her more. And then she rhymes off all the great stuff that he did for her, like saving her life off that bridge and being there for her when Aidan died and stuff. She can't predict the future, but she thinks that they can get through anything else life throws at them. Mm-hmm. And he agrees. Nothing foreboding about that at all. No. She says that she would be in it for keeps. Me too, he says, and they agree to give it another go. Hmm. So they announce to Johnny and Jenny and Ryan and Ali that they're back together. And the boys seem less than impressed. And Ali especially seems to read something from Robert. Something mm-hmm. that becomes more suspicious when Robert announces that he has to in the puff to help one of Billy's young offenders. And he has to do it right now. Right now. So the celebrations minus Robert move to the bar. Ali wonders if Michelle is sure about this. Didn't Robert want a kid? Michelle reckons he's over that now. And then we see where Robert has gone. And he's off to see Irish Tina. We were right. We were right. We predicted this. And we were right. We were right. We were right. These. We were right. 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 We were right. Woot woot. Your We Were Right song needs work. So she's missed Robert and lays a big smooch in his face. Inside the house, Tyler seems to have cheered up a bit. He's a different lad, now he has a job, says uh, Irish Tina, and off he goes to do that job. A nice clean white shirt. Robert needs to have a word with her. Uh Uh-oh. She's dumped. Irish Tina doesn't understand. Is there another woman? Because if there is, she'll fucking kill her. He insists not. He needs to focus on his business, though, and he doesn't need any of these distractions. Right, and they live so far away, Mm -hmm. and it takes so long to get there. It sounds like they've been seeing each other for a few months, though. It's Yeah, this has been going on for a while. He says he meant a lot to her. No, she says that he meant a lot to her. He wants to remain friends, but she asks him to leave. She can't even look at him anymore. So Robert gets back home and carries Michelle over the threshold and at the flat. They'll have to sort out getting married in that now. And they lived happily ever after, says Robert. Nothing can get in the way of us now. But then we cut to Irish Tina, looking at a card that she'd got for Robert. It's a Father's Day card, because Irish Tina is up the duff. And that is how we end... Congratulations, Robert, you're going to be a dad. This week's episodes. The one thing he always wanted. He's finally going to be a dad. Yay. Thanks, Irish Tina. You're the best. Irish Tina seems to have had a bit of a clean-up. Yeah. Change of hairstyle and stuff. Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem like she has to do a lot of hard labour anymore. Yeah. Her walls are very purple, though. Yes. So, this is going to backfire horrendously, then. Of course it is. I half expected Irish Tina to follow him home. Oh, really? 
but she didn't. No. And it's just... Didn't he learn the last time from the last time that lying leads to no good? She said to him countless times, you need to stop your lying. Right. You need to be honest with me. You lie you again and this is done. Lying. You need to stop lying. And now he's not lying to one woman. He's lying to two. Right. Oh, and Ali is getting his own place. He's not moving back in with Robert. No, he's going to sit there over for a little while. Well, he finds mm-hmm. his own place. But Ryan, on the other hand, will continue to live at home. Yes. Where his mum can do his washing for him. 27-year-old man. Yeah. Can it be potentially Bethany, who's 18? Is she 18 or has she had a birthday? I think she's 19 now. She might be 19 there. 19 and 27. She's way more mature than he is. Yep. But... Except when she's trying to force her mother back into a bad relationship. Right. For it's, no apparent reason. So this is going to be interesting to see where, aye, where aye, this aye. goes. Because Robert and Michelle are probably going to get... Maybe they're going to get married now. We have the David and Shona wedding to get through first, I think. Mm-hmm. But we can't do that until we know whether or not David's going to prison. Right. Hmm. Hmm. This is probably going to come out on the day of the wedding. And this is... Do you think Irish Tina will show up with the baby? No. But baby! I think she'll, I think she'll show come up. out accusing Robert of... I have your child. Yeah. You dirty double-crossing so-and-so. I think Irish Tina will figure it out or maybe or maybe she will try to move closer because remember she said oh well we can move closer and he's like no 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 don't do that <laughs> stay where you are no 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 stay put in arguably a nicer a nicer place oh, look at the lovely house that she's in massive I don't know if she's managed that Robert Robert's been giving her money has he? Robert's been taking care of her remember what she said to Gary that she's got a good bloke now who right. helps pay the bills and during that whole conversation where she's like, I don't know how I'll cope. And Robert rather callously says, well, Tyler's got a good, good job now. And she's like, it's not about the money, you moron. Right. I really cared about you. You big shit. <laughs> yeah, this is going to lead to no good. Mark my words. Mm-hmm. Tyler's cleaned up very well, though. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, good for him. Another ginger makes good. Your moment of the week. Ah. Uh, it would have to be something with the Baileys, but all of that was so good. Uh, Michael pounding through the wall to a shocked Ken and Claudia. Mm. I really liked that. Um, I've got a couple written down. Ed winding Ken up and calling him Kenny. That was pretty good. Sally and Tim's uh, horsey sex games. Ah, uh, no. Or Evelyn in the pub. All right, I'll do Evelyn in the pub because that involves the Baileys, who I like. And I liked all their scenes. Okay, cool. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. The boring of the moment of the week. Shona and David looking at CCTV that makes it look like David is fighting himself. I wondered if Ken's fruitcake. No, because that was funny. Or Ken's telephoto lens. It was funny watching him try to chew. Or Beth's photography. Beth's photography was funny. 
Ken's telephoto lens was kind of stupid and dumb. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that. That's I've got one of those things. And you never use it. It doesn't work. You don't need it. It doesn't work. With an iPhone, you don't need it. Well, this is for an iPhone. Give us money, Apple. It, because we really like your products. It makes it... It increases the zoom, supposedly, 10 or 20 fold. I find it very difficult to use. I don't yeah, like it. I take some pretty amazing photographs with my iPhone, so I don't see the sense in all so, of that stuff anymore. So what do we sell on there? Ken's telephoto lenses are... Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Okay, okay. It's just gone after ten. Shall we wrap this one up? I've not even written my... Yes. I've not written my outro. Yes, queen. Uh, let me think. So, if you want to get in contact with us on email... <laughs> Why did you say it that way? I don't know. So... Email Talk of the Street is a talk of the street gmail.com. It's also our uh, Skype address if you want to leave us a voicemail, which nobody ever does. Er, and it's also our PayPal address. PayPal address if you want to throw us a couple of bucks. Yes, tip us please for this wonderful content. Um, and if you want more content, tip us, and that will convince Gav to let me make a Patreon page. Yeah, I'm going to take some convincing. On Twitter, we're Cory Podcast, and on Facebook, and we have a blog, the Talk of the Street WordPress. No, the Talk of the Street Podcast dot WordPress dot com. See, this is why I write it down. <laughs> Haven't written it down. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode, and we will be back next week. Next week with more Talk, Talk of the Street. Talk of the Street. Cheerio. Bye bye. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.